one of the interesting things uh, that you and I were talking about earlier this week, and honestly, I found it kind of surprising, and I know we don't delve into politics too much, but unfortunately, we're going to have to start this one out with a, a little bit. Uh, Clint Eastwood, of all people, came out this this last week, and he was pretty critical of Trump, and actually announced that he was supporting Mike Bloomberg, of all people, which for any of us that have followed politics or even the whatever Clint Eastwood stands for, whatever you want to call that, he has been a darling of the conservative movement for a long time. And in fact, something that you had brought up, I didn't even realize he spoke at the last convention and did that empty chair speech that the very cringeworthy empty chair speech. Yeah. Cringeworthy. Yeah. He, he's not going to word it or win an Academy award for that particular presentation. Right. (laughs) What's funny about this and I guess kind of helped lead to the discussion today was, you know, we associate people with certain, um, outlooks with certain policy philosophy, and it's very hard to kind of, I don't know what the word is, not dissect them, but separate them from it. You know, you look at a person like Clint Eastwood and you just assume he's going to be a conservative until the day he dies. Kind of like a Charlton Heston. Yeah, John Wayne, I think, is a good parallel there, too. John Wayne was a very conservative guy. And as you can imagine, you've got conservative people that are losing their absolute mind. And, you know, Clint Eastwood is a trailer, a trailer Good Lord. (laughs) Clint Eastwood is a traitor to the movement. How dare he support Bloomberg? And I think what was interesting and at least kind of started a conversation between you and I was that we typically, whether it be artists and in this case, a, a movie actor, we have a certain expectation of their art and how when they kind of sway out of at least what we think they should believe or the views that they should have, it makes it harder for us to support them as an actor. And like I've talked to you before, if I hear of some pop star, someone in the music industry, or even a movie star that has very strong political beliefs that entail removing rights from myself or anyone else, it's very difficult for me to support them because for me, if I'm going to their movies, if I'm buying their product, in a sense, I feel like I'm supporting it. I'm reinforcing that view that I'm giving support to them that, yes, I agree with this political stance. And that's something that I don't believe is true for you, correct? Right. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's it's something that I would never take into consideration, but it's certainly the case that... I am a big fan of, and we'll say consumer of, uh, some, you know, artists, actors, um, who, who I vehemently disagree with. And the, the strange thing about it is this is one where I totally understand where you're coming from. I mean, I, I really, you know, we could, we could probably flip it to some other area and I might kind of be the same way. Um, but conversely to that, it's almost like, I don't know how to put it. I guess, I guess it's like when I love the product 
So uh, what I think a, the, an example that we've used in the past is I'm this I'm a really big Bruce Springsteen fan, and I couldn't disagree with him more uh, politically. Well, I mean not a hundred percent, but I definitely disagree with him politically. He's a he's a very active supporter. Worse than that fundraiser, you know. I mean he's a big supporter of the Democratic Party, and being a supporter of of no party and thinking that both of these um, ideologies that then use the power of the state to, to enact their will on the rest of the country are uh, evil is probably not too strong of a word because evil people <laughs> don't tend to think they're evil. Right. I mean, right. even evil people, we would say have the best intentions, but um, you know, that, that is definitely something I recognize that I'm doing, but on the other hand, I think about, you know, say, uh, well, here's here's a good example. Um, when the uh, the whole there, what, what's his name, uh, Westboro Baptist Church guy. I never can remember. Fred Phelps. Fred Phelps. So, if you remember, there was a big controversy at the time um, when there was the uh, the wedding cakes four gay couples mm -hmm. and it, it i believe it went all the way to the supreme court you'd probably remember that better than me this is the one in colorado right there were several but i think that's the one that yeah. went all the way to the supreme court and i tend to fall on the side of i mean if i owned a bakery it, i don't care mm -hmm. right i don't care the the bigger thing to me is i hope this works out for this couple i hope they're happy mm -hmm. you know uh whether they decide to maybe adopt some kids or have a surrogate mother or whatever, just, you know, be good parents, uh, be a happy couple, be good humans, be good humans and the world is a better place. So I don't really care. Uh, but on the other hand, I don't think that it's right to tell somebody that they have to serve somebody and take their money if they don't want to. So in the midst of all of this, um, there was this not very well-known story, but it, it was enough to get kind of the left uh, laughing. Uh, Fred Phelps uh, got a flat tire in Topeka and he, he pulled up to a tire shop and then the, the, uh, the person who ran the shop refused to fix his tire. And, and I have the same opinion about that. If he doesn't want to, he mm -hmm. doesn't have to. And, but where you basically, then you had, there's not a lot of people who, even on the uh, conservative side or the right, who really like Fred Phelps. I mean, the, the Phelps are pretty universally despised, but they were laughing about it and saying, you know, serves you right. And I'm like, well, this is kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. you, you, have, you have these two people who refuse to serve somebody. Um, they might be, one side might feel that they're misguided, but it's not that they're harming anybody. But it was acceptable in the eye of the public for the the tire repair guy to not serve Fred Phelps, but it was unacceptable for the bakery to not serve gay couples. And that, you know, it, it kind of gets me thinking of, okay, there that puts me in this mindset of there's a product and I consume the products that I think are good products, even if I don't agree with what the uh, producer of the product um, says or does. Right. And, and there's another one that kind of came to mind and this is one that you and I've talked about 
quite a bit. Uh, Christopher Hitchens is one of your personal heroes, I yes. would say. Hopefully not too strong of a word. No, but... I, 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 I'm willing to say I have five dead heroes, and Christopher Hitchens is one of them. But his stance on the Iraqi war Absolutely. was something you could not tolerate. Now, that, that did not diminish who he is within your pantheon of heroes, dead heroes at least. Right. But you were able to separate that. And I find myself likewise. It's where there is a campaign to take away the rights uh, of others. And, you know, let's go back to this Colorado thing that we were discussing. What was, I'm going to use the word disheartening for me is, when I would get into arguments online about this and very similar to the Phelps thing, mm-hmm. the only thing that they could come up with as a defense was that the constitution or laws only protect against discrimination based on marital status, uh, sexuality, whatever else. But being a hate mongering, uh, Christian is not one of the protected ones, which I mean, to me, it's kind of a cop out. But I fired back with, what if it was a Jewish baker and some skinheads wanted him to bake a swastika cake to celebrate whatever it was? Would you force that Jewish baker to do that? And, of course, you know, it's a resounding no, and you get accused of being a Nazi sympathizer. You're not getting the point here. So... it's tough. It really is. You know, when do you separate it? When do you not? What's the delineating point? And I think a lot of us kind of step on both sides of that line. Sure. Yeah. Well, and there's, you, you kind of said a word in there that, uh, there, there's a couple of words. I always find myself maybe looking at the meaning of a little bit different. Um, they sort of, the, the two words are discriminate and exploit. So we tend to think of discriminate and exploit as, I think in in everyday colloquial use, they are nothing but negative. If you are doing either of these two things, you are a bad person. But I mean, technically, anytime you choose a person over another person, anytime you choose, um, you know, you favor one side over another side. You you are discriminating. Discriminating mm-hmm. is not always a bad thing or even a rude thing. Um, so then it gets to the point of like, I don't even want to say at what point is it discrimination, uh, but it's like at what point is this discrimination uh, a reflection of bad character? And depending on the topic, everybody's going to have a different opinion on when it's a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. So... You know, if, if a, you know, just a regular Joe and, you know, somebody with a swastika on their head, like Charles Manson or something, you know, both come up to me and say, you know, will you help me push my car out of the street into the parking, this parking lot, my car broke down. Um, I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, man, I'm probably going to do it for whoever, you mm-hmm. know, I do it for a black Panther. I do it for a white nationalist. I do it for a regular Joe because, it's kind of a safety issue mm-hmm. and whatever, but it's almost like, um, yes, yeah, some people would maybe see it my way and say like, look, it's just, it's kind of for the greater good. Um, you know, this is just one of those things that kind of helps everybody, but somebody else may, you know, how dare you support, you know, that, that communist or that, uh, uh, fascist or, or whatever the case may be. But it's, it's kind of weird 
it's impossible to know because it's all over the map depending on who you're talking to as to when the discrimination is an unacceptable level it's 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 just impossible i just have no idea where that is no and what to me what's worse than the discrimination is the forced association between people meaning that okay if i don't want to associate with you then you're going to use the law to force me to associate in the case of the the baker he is being forced to associate with people that he doesn't normally support right but i mean you're you're bringing up a really good point and it's one i hadn't considered let's say that i was a, a left leaning leaning um democrat mm-hmm. before february 22nd when clint eastwood made this announcement if clint eastwood was broke down on the side of the road do you think i would have helped him pushed into a parking lot Chances are probably not. But on the 23rd, after he said, hey, I support Bloomberg, hell yeah, I'd be pushing him. And that's how most people are, is your political ideology becomes who you are. The group that I place you in or you place yourself in becomes who you are. Maybe, Maybe I do have a swastika on my forehead. No, I don't. But let's just say I did, and I did it at a time in my life where I was young and I've changed. I've seen the light, but I haven't had either. I haven't had the time opportunity or money to remove this tattoo, or maybe it's there as a reminder to beware the mistakes I made in my past. It's very easy to look at what a person is outwardly and make this whole, I don't know what the word is, this whole grouping of decisions about who this person is, you know, pass it into our pattern recognition machines and come out with a negative result. Yeah, that, that's, that's a really good point. Um, so it's almost like, I would say, you know, so with the, with the Clint Eastwood example, maybe people that, you know, hated him last month and like him now, um, I think they would say, okay, well, he, he, he's growing, he's changed, he's improved himself. Whereas the other side's going to say, oh, he's a traitor. I mean, they they were willing to basically grab onto anything he said, parrot it, support it, cheer him on. But now as soon as he has this other political opinion, like now he's a piece of garbage. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. it's like, we're, we really are talking about the same guy here. I don't know his motivations for being a conservative before. I don't know his motivations for supporting Bloomberg now. I didn't know about it until you told me uh, that he had, that he had uh, you know, sort of switched sides. Um, but, I mean, we are fundamentally talking about the same person here. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's, he would probably be the same guy to sit down and have a conversation with when he was a conservative versus being uh, I, I doubt I, it's probably not fair to call him a leftist or anything but i mean he's he is supporting the other party now he's probably the same guy yeah and it may be just simply he despises trump and some of the things that he's done it may be that he hasn't switched affiliation he just realizes how dangerous this jackass is you know and that's a good point because trump is such a polarizing character i mean he's just such a polarizing character and you know the there's the 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 conservatives say that there are people on the left who have trump derangement syndrome which in a way in inside of the if i put my headspace in the i am a statist and i believe in government 
then I think there is some merit to that because he'll say up and they'll say down. I mean, it just doesn't matter. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter whatever he does. Um, you know, the the Republicans pre-Trump were more free trade than they are now. He's willing to go into uh, trade protectionism and tariffs and all of these trade deals and who gets the better deal and all this sort of stuff. When, you know, we had always associated, or at least I had always associated the Republican Party as being more of the free trade party. I think it's like a lot of things with the Republican Party. They're the reality and the uh, maybe the belief or the message that's kind of out in the ether are not the same. I mean, it's not the party of small government. And now we can definitely say it is not the party that is more for free trade. Um, but isn't it funny now that people, you know, if, if George W. Bush would have said, you know, elect me because I'm more, I'm going to have free trade. And, you know, the Republicans are, oh, yeah, you know, that's great, that's great. Well, now that it's Trump, now the Republicans are like, oh, yeah, those those Chinese are stealing our jobs, those Mexicans are stealing our jobs. And it's like, well, the world hasn't changed when it comes to kind of the 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 natural laws of economics, for lack of a better term, on whether or not free trade or trade protectionism is a good or bad thing. Yeah, and it's all in the eye of whoever's political support you're trying to garner is what it looks like to me absolutely yeah and you know in a way so i'm not gonna lie and say i don't see the issue of a you know a bruce springsteen because i think there are a lot of people who are probably a big bruce springsteen fan or you know what you know name name a political a politically active uh artist Kanye West. Kanye West. On the other yes, side. Yes, very good example. So I think that the problem, or a lot of the problem, not the entire problem, because you have a point when when Bruce Springsteen is a huge star and then the, the DNC can tap him or Kanye West is a huge star and Trump can tap him and say, you know, let's let's boost me up. That's absolutely a valid a valid point. Uh, but what I find interesting is I don't understand why we as consumers or just regular people tend to say, wow, Bruce Springsteen and Kanye West are such good artists. It must make their political opinions more valid. <laughs> I mean, that's just goofy to me. It absolutely is. We do the same thing with, you know, in Clint Eastwood's case um, mm-hmm. with uh, movie artists yeah. as well. It's the more famous they are. And, what I don't know is if this is part of wanting to be part of a, let's say a cult of personality and having these particular people that you may or may not revere, but at least society might put up in in higher regard, their opinion suddenly matters. What they like suddenly matters. And this is not anything new. And, And it even exists down to the level of, they're called influencers now on social media, whether they have a YouTube channel or Instagram, where they have the capabilities of literally accidentally causing a product to surge to the top of the market. Um, one of those, and I can't remember it, um, there's some stupid water bottle that is enormously expensive, very fragile, but all it took was one of these influencers to be drinking out of it and suddenly everyone wants to be it. Like if if I use the same products, if I use the same mascara, if I wear the same clothes, then suddenly 
I'm this person or a little shard of it rubs off on me. It's almost like they see the thing as maybe it's some sort of talisman or an explanation for that person's charisma or star power. And maybe they can sort of appropriate that and then they will get some of that charisma or star power. I don't know the thinking, but that's kind of the only thing that makes sense to me, to be honest, you know. And it's got to be something that's ingrained with us because... you make a lot of money as one of these influencers. People that have products want you to be the spokesman. And it used to be that way um, even before the days of social media where you would have people that became um, like Bill Cosby with Jello pudding, mm, for instance. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, how they wouldn't touch that with a 10 Oh, my pole. gosh, yeah. Well, and it was because of how wholesome he was uh, seen. You know, I mean, exactly. I remember growing up and just thinking like, you know, the, the Cosby's in the Cosby show. Mm-hmm. I mean, they weren't all the Cosby's, but you understand the, in, in the show Huxtables. There you go. Huxtables. Um, I mean, I just remember thinking this is like the most wholesome family mm-hmm. in the universe. Like, you know, if I flipped over and I'm watching, uh, all in the family, like the, uh, the bunkers are way more dysfunctional. Than oh the, God. Archie the, Bunker. Yeah. They're way more dysfunctional than the Huxtables. It was just so wholesome. And yeah, I think, Probably rightly so. Jello was like, hey, this is just like this. This is like American apple pie. This is wholesome, mm-hmm. you know, and Bill Cosby was a wholesome enough image to to uh, sort of influence people that way. Yeah. So it, it's nothing new. It's just I think we're seeing more of it with the interconnectedness that we have. And there's more avenues for it to to kind of cross over. And it, to an, to an extent, it, it terrifies me because it shows just how easy it is to manipulate people out of reason. They're not going to use logic. They're not going to use reason to arrive at a position. They just want to be popular. And if they can't be popular, they want to be popular by extension, by using a product or holding a view that someone that they either hold in esteem in esteem or is popular also holds. We've talked about it with sports, with tribalism, Mm -hmm. if not here, then on other podcasts. And I have to think that this is some kind of associative deal that is in our very low level psychology. You, you kind of remind me of something, um, years ago (laughs) as, as you know, but, but the, the listeners uh, won't know is I used to do a podcast with my brother and it wasn't, it wasn't a political one or anything. We just picked out, you know, random things from history or interesting stories and kind of tried to dive into them. So it was really different, but there's one thing I brought up on that. And this was probably five years ago or so. So the, the climate was a little different and there was a little bit of a different image, but that was, I said, it'd be interesting to poll people who use iPhones and use Androids and see if they were conservative or if they were liberal. Because at that time, Apple had such an image of being like a Silicon Valley, California, you know, uh, progressive, forward-thinking, accepting. You know, they had Mm -hmm. very much the image of, you know, you're going to see a lot of these in the boutique coffee shops, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and not a lot of Androids. And, you know, that's so goofy to me because it really, it's not like the iPhone and the Android 
tap in better to the actual legitimate differences of the way the brains of conservatives and liberals work because there are some differences in the way they view the world but the the interesting thing is that apple in particular had sort of sold themselves as this is the phone of the you know the young progressive accepting forward thinking uh, you know individual and it, it seemed to really reflect just anecdotally to me as well that's an interesting point, and I bet if you were to have done the poll data that you probably would have seen at least outside of a standard deviation of difference, like that it would line up Android yeah. versus that, and hell, even Starbucks, right? exact mm-hmm. same thing, because after the straw ban and, and a lot of other things that they've done, they have this West Coast hippie-ish, but not in the traditional hippie, but environmentalist kind of persona that most conservatives would run screaming to the hills. Sure. As opposed to just going, well, you know, the coffee's really not that great. Or I love it. Right. I mean, you know, exactly. I mean, obviously some people do, but um, it, it is interesting. So there, there's one here that I want to kind of run by you because this is something we've talked about, but I don't remember ever sort of, framing it in this way when it comes to uh not just the 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 art and the artist but almost the actual art versus the actual artist's opinion and i've brought him up to you but there's an author named um, orson uh, orson scott card he wrote the the ender series you know ender's game and there's a lot of sequels and they made ender's game into a movie uh but it it is this very beloved science fiction book um you know in that in that world uh you could say it's like a ultimate precursor to hunger games and all those sort of things uh because it's about this young boy he's sort of a savant he's a mega crazy genius and he he's it's in the future and the human beings are at war with this other race i don't want to drag this on too long but basically when you read through this you you would just you'd be baffled to know that Orson Scott Card is so different because his character Ender like he hates war he has to get tricked literally into fighting a war he doesn't know he's fighting it um and also there's he he grows up with these other kids that are from all these other parts of the world and they have these different religions and there's even I don't it'd be too little it'd be a little dirty of me to say like homoerotica because it's not that but there's definitely a level of intimacy between ender and one of his male friends that would raise some eyebrows but orson scott card the person is uh it's probably not fair to say fundamentalist lds but he's a very devout uh, follower of the LDS church and he poured money into prop eight, which would have, if you remember banned gay marriage in California, um, after it had already been allowed it, the prop eight would basically take it away. Um, and it's just so, it's so interesting. And I remember at the time trying to imagine the scale of, okay, here's all these kids and, you know, probably 70s or 80s and 90s or whatever but you had a couple of generations of kids who probably grew up and read this book and it probably affected them because it's 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 a very good book and it's a very moving book but 
then you have Orson Scott Card, who's willing to basically lobby the power of the state and pour money into making legislation passed to deny some people some rights. And I, I kind of remember at the time thinking, did he do more harm with his money and his rhetoric? Or did he actually probably end up balancing that out because of the however many people have read this book? And in one sense, it doesn't matter. Because on principle, he's using the power of the state to deny some people some rights. So, you know, at that point, I'm like, full stop, that's where he messed up, it doesn't matter. But there is this sort of, uh, where the rubber hits the road in reality, to do more harm or good. And I, I really wrestle with that. I really do. When the, when, the, when the art actually contradicts the artist. It, it would be worth it, I think, to look to see what, how persuasive, right? you know, that was to particular people. Obviously, neither one of us sitting here want the removal of any, any rights. And it's terrifying that people have this ability to use these platforms, whether it be um, they become famous because of their art or they become famous because of a YouTube channel, Instagram or social media, or it, I guess it doesn't really matter what it is, but how susceptible we are to this messaging, mm-hmm. I, I guess it is what terrifies me. And, you're bringing up the the LDS church, for instance, and one of the things that I find a lot, and you and I have talked about, is that when we're talking to people about, let's say it's religion, and I'm just going to stick with Christianity as we know it, because that's what we're most familiar with, but everyone's been told that the Bible is the authority. Mm-hmm. It is the truth. It was written, you know, by... However, you know, some people say it's written by God. Of course, we know it wasn't. But um, no matter what your position is, we know, obviously, God himself did not write down these words. Maybe dictated by God. There you go. Dictated by God or inspired by God. Mm -hmm. However, however you want to look at it. Um, But, you know, in this case, even though there are things in, in this book that are so abhorrent to modern day civilization. You know, the gay marriage thing, that's kind of recent, but you know, there was a time where that, that was acceptable. Not doing it is what I mean. Right. Yeah. Um, but we would never think of stoning someone to death for eating shrimp. We would never think of killing someone for wearing mixed clothing. Right. We would never think of taking our wife to her father's doorstep and stoning her to death. If she wasn't a virgin, there are things within it that we've been able to separate at least within the non-fundamentalist sex of um, society. We've been able to separate from it. But then again, you know, there are those that don't. And it, it intrigues me becoming kind of a, a new atheist and in looking at at some of the actions that people do. And, and in this case, you've got the art, which is the Bible. Mm-hmm. And you've got the artist, which is... God, supposedly. No, again, right, neither, yeah. neither one of us <laughs> right. believe in whether, that the Bible is the, the undying truth of a God that we, we can't prove exists. But it's interesting to see it even within religion, I think. Yeah, you know, and it, it's funny because in one aspect, that basically is, it almost seems like it's this uh, strange counterpoint to 
sort of the grouping that we're talking about, you know, because it's like Donald Trump can say anything and probably 20% of the country is going to cheer no matter what. Mm -hmm. I mean, and then, you know, then we have this Bible and virtually nobody supports everything in it. Virtually. Virtually no one. (laughs) I mean, the the aforementioned uh, Phelps in the Westboro Baptist Church. Uh, they really do know their Bible. You know, they'll they'll debate people who say, no, this is the message of God. God is love and all this stuff. And, I mean, the Phelps clean their clocks because they know Bible, ver- uh, uh, you know, chapter and verse, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. They just know it so well. So it is interesting that we kind of see this, in a way, a departure from that, but in a way, not really. And so what I mean by that is it's almost like the um, the the magnitude of how abhorrent these things are overrides our ability to keep accepting it. And by our, I mean human beings, right? So we would say Christians in this instance. But it, I don't think that's quite the case when it's maybe a little more down to earth, maybe when it's what the Pope says. That's the one I was getting ready to yeah. to bring up, like the AIDS epidemic in Africa, mm-hmm. where the Pope had every chance to say that using a condom's okay, mm-hmm. because, you know, within Catholic religion, they're not. Right. So, in that case, I have to wonder if having a living cult of personality, a living leader of, of whatever this is, overrides our ability to kind of sift through and find the garbage, because the Pope can and has said things that are contrary to traditional Catholic belief. Absolutely. If I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somehow, some way, he is able to override the truth. Similarly, with Trump, Trump is able to impose tariffs. And, um, and I'm not comparing Trump to the Pope, but just hear me out here for a moment. He is able to deviate from what was the standardized message of his group. And people accept it like it's some demagogue or some ordained minister for this group. Well, you know, it's so funny because I mean, what it was, it was literally three or four days ago. Uh, I was at work late and one of the other techs was um, working on something that, you know, one of his buddies things or whatever. And I, I got to talking about this guy cause he knew there was, uh, there was, months ago I was I was after this handgun that was very hard to get a hold of and I had to try to track one down and he knew an FFL dealer who might be able to get his hands on one it was this big long drama he ended up getting one from a warehouse in New York so the guy remembered me and he said hey did that ever work out for you and I was like yeah you know thanks because he's he's kind of the guy who pointed me in the right direction but I never met him face to face so I got to meet him face to face and we got to talking and so we were, we were just talking about gun stuff and he's, he's like, man, I'm, I'm really worried about the upcoming election because, um, you know, if, if a Democrat gets in there, it'll, it'll be, it'll be the end. It'll be, we'll lose all our gun rights. And, uh, I was like, you know, I, I'm, I don't feel comfortable either way. I said, you know, everybody was freaked out about Obama and really comfortable with Trump. But at the end of the day, Trump, with an executive order on his own, no law passed, nothing actually restricted uh, uh, bump stocks, just with the stroke of a pen. And I'm like, you know, I mean, really, if we're looking at the record, Trump's 
took a more directive, restrictive action than Obama ever did. You know, and I just, I found it interesting that, you know, if we say, is Trump pro-gun, the conservatives and and the liberals will say, oh yeah, he's pro-gun, and they'll either love that or hate that. Um, but then the reality of it is, is he, he is worse than his predecessor, who we would, in our minds, is, is worse on the Second Amendment. And furthermore, Ronald Reagan is a very great example of this. Oh, yeah. Ronald Reagan passed the most restrictive gun laws in the country when he was governor of California because the Black Panthers were arming themselves and walking around. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when he's on the national stage, then all of a sudden he's he's pro-Second Amendment, or supposedly. That's the image anyway. But it's just funny that when you... I think the takeaway is when you place your when you place your opinion in the hands of another person there's no hope of consistency there's no hope of uh that your your goals and your beliefs are going to be supported because when they change on a whim you've almost hypnotized yourself into changing with them yeah and you have to accept it yeah right. i mean in order to maintain consistency within your brain and this is one of the things that you and I have talked about whenever we embarked on this journey or we see someone new embarking on this journey, whether you're moving away from the belief that government should control our lives or you're moving away from the belief in some boogeyman that knows your thoughts and is going to cast you into a lake of fire if if you're impure. It's very difficult to remove yourself from that because it's very difficult to say that you were wrong and wrong for all this time before. Mm-hmm. Now, this is again, something you and I've talked about, but it, I think it bears, um, maybe teasing out a little bit more. These images like Obama, if you were to ask the average person, they would say he's anti-gun. If you ask the average person, Trump is pro-gun. Like we spoke to earlier, where there's a suspension of reason. Mm-hmm as opposed to just looking at these images, where do you think these images coming? Is it, is it coming from the media or is it coming from us molding his actions? Because I I guess I need to drill out a little bit more for me. If I was a conservative Republican and I supported Trump and I'm, and, and I am a conservative Republican in, in this instance, gun rights are very important to me. So in my mind, I have to morph every one of his actions as being pro-gun. Right. In, in order to justify it mm-hmm. in my head. Or just say, well, bump stocks aren't accurate anyway. Right. You and, know, that's and that's the, the excuse. excuse. Yes, that's absolutely the excuse. It is. But I, I wonder where this image comes from. Because, you know, when I first went down this, Reagan, Reagan was one of my heroes. And it wasn't until I started taking a good, hard look at his policies and what he did. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, this guy was horrendous. He enormously grew the government from the Carter era. <laughs> yeah. And, and Carter is typically looked at as the, the buffoon, mm-hmm. one of the, the buffoons. He didn't accomplish anything other than getting home brewing beer legalized, and, which and solar panels on the white house. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I think that the, the legacy of, of Carter is kind of those, <laughs> those, those oddball things, right? But, I mean, look, I, I remember, I wasn't even a, 
I was never a Republican in my entire life. I was, uh, I went from being, you know, Democrat. At the time, I would say I was more liberal than Democrats, but compared to the Democratic Party of now, you know, I, I would have not been considered liberal. But um, it's it's funny because even I had this weird respect for Reagan. I wasn't a Reagan hater, even though you could say my my colleagues or whatever my 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 uh whatever it doesn't matter the the people who aligned with me politically uh they really hated reagan and but i i kind of think i bought so much into his his good image that i i respected him even if i disagreed with him Mm -hmm. but going from left to anarchist um i i my my his stock with me fell dramatically because oh, I just didn't realize I just I just didn't realize that the the thing I respected him for was well he honestly did believe you know smaller government and tried to enact that because he thought it was better and et cetera et cetera et cetera when like that's totally not true no not at all and I think a lot of that is clouded by this image that we have in our head especially at post cold war you know this guy defeated the mm-hmm. ussr he mm-hmm. helped bring down the berlin wall he told the russians to go pound sand he was looking at the star wars defense initiative and built all this stuff and was protecting us from what you could say was a, a modern day hitler yeah yeah in, in well he, he literally called them the evil empire mm-hmm. ronald reagan called them the evil empire and to anybody who had a modicum of respect for Ronald Reagan in this position of authority, and he had this wholesome image Very wholesome. and and sort of trustworthy image, you know, that's that's going to be terrifying. You know, this is an evil empire. These aren't just people who are evil in a different way maybe than we are, but I mean, this, this is an evil empire. This is like, this is like Hitler with nukes. Mm-hmm. And so then for him to inflate the boogeyman and then quote unquote defeat the boogeyman, he sealed himself into history as this hero figure. It's kind of like the character from Star Trek. Oh God, Scotty, Scotty. Um, He would always make the, uh, the problem Mm -hmm. seem like they were completely, you know, uh, uh, incapable of fixing this. Like it would take a miracle every time he created a miracle. That's how he got his reputation as a miracle worker. (laughs) Right. And I remember that line. I don't know if it was Genesis or, um, it was an episode of next generation where he's explaining to Jordy LaForge that you have to tell them, tell them it's going to take twice as long Mm -hmm. and then fix it. And then that's how you get the reputation as a miracle worker. So maybe the, this is a yet another version of it, and I, I could see how we would be susceptible to that. It's politically brilliant, and I'm going to be honest, I never it never occurred to me until you and I sitting across from this table just now that he really did inflate the boogeyman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, he did. I'm not saying the Soviet Union wasn't dangerous. Any country that has the ability to wipe out the human race with these with these weapons and one person the leader of the country can do that unilaterally which is the case with the soviet union and the united states even now um that's that's terrifying that's dangerous i don't care if you or i are in there it's dangerous to put that ability into 
one person's hands to wipe out all humanity. But, um, you know, they were, they were, they were the thing that we were supposed to be afraid of. And I'm sure they were just, I'm sure your average Soviet citizen was just as terrified of us and getting just as much propaganda. propaganda. Yeah. I, I think it's true of, I would say any hierarchical structure there has to be a boogeyman. Let's start small. Let's start with a union, for instance. Mm-hmm. Who's the boogeyman? Well, it's the guy that that's running the shop that it's does management. All, yeah. It's management, better word. Mm-hmm. Management is here to steal part of your labor. They want to keep you down. They are standing in your way. But look, we can save you. And for a monthly donation of only nineteen ninety five. Mm-hmm. You too can be saved and do your part to save your fellow man. Then you go up to state governments, local governments, national governments, mm-hmm. international governments like the UN, you know, that's looking at um, some of these countries as the great new evils and the things they're doing. And, you know, that's on the secular side, but hell, that's what religion is too. Not all religions, obviously. I, and there's varying degrees. I mean, it's when we have to be realistic. A lot of these things, there's the same violation of a principle, but sometimes the violation of a principle does cause more damage than the same violation of a principle in another instance. Still, the violation of the principle, mm-hmm. but it's you know it's it's one thing to uh, it's one thing when one person's robbing another person and they shoot them for their their wallet say that is a violation of principle that's they they murdered them it's also a violation of principle to to firebomb tokyo but one of them is obviously much more catastrophic so um yeah it's it is strange how we 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 view these things I don't know how to put it. You know, w- w- let's talk about let's talk about the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, right? Mm-hmm. How do you convince? How did you convince Americans that it was okay, or and the firebombing of Tokyo that basically wipe out three cities, hundreds of thousands of non-combatants? Well, we had already spent years saying, you know, these are barely human people, mm-hmm. and then we have. We have the, our our side, our government, right? And what they say, especially when we're already scared. I think when we're scared, that's when we trust them more. So keep us scared. Or make us scared. Right. And then so, a reason to be scared. Exactly. So the, you know, with religion, we're terrified of hell. We're terrified of punishment from God. We're terrified of all of these things. And we feel like we have little to no control over it. So we turn to the one who says they have the authority and we'll listen to whatever they say. And, you know, when it comes to the state, you know, you have these Japanese and you've probably seen like the cartoons and stuff at the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're portrayed as either like these exotic human beings that aren't like regular human beings or they're portrayed as like buck tooth, stupid, you know, and just incompetent. Which is funny because those two things are diametrically opposed. It's like they are so clever and so sneaky and so smart and evil that they're going to get us. But on the other hand, they're stupid, bucktooth, you know, and and just can't get anything done. But it's like you wipe up, you wipe three of those cities off the map, and it's it's not the same as Dresden 
Germany, you know, because how many, a, a huge percentage of the U.S. population are German descendants, mm-hmm. of German descendants. So, you know, I, I think, I think now we're at a time where most of society sees those things as equal, but that wasn't always the case. Dresden was a crime and Tokyo was a necessity. And, and definitely still the atomic bombings are by a lot of people considered a necessity. I was going to say, when, when I speak to people about um, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, there's always some justification. They It, it was to save American lives mm-hmm. because we would have had this protracted war going on island to island. They would have killed a lot of us and it was better to kill them than it was kill us hey after all they did attack us Mm -hmm. but at the same time like you said there's this caricature of them being so much less of a human than we were then if that's the case why do they pose this danger right exactly we see it currently in afghanistan for instance you've got a bunch of people that are portrayed as camel riding cave dwelling neanderthals Mm -hmm. that um are are barbaric Mm -hmm. in their culture and yet we've been bogged down for what eighteen years now. Yeah, yeah. In, in a war against these little—I mean, literally the Jetsons versus the Flintstones. Right. Exactly. So on on the one hand, you have to portray them as less than human, so that people don't see this as being an atrocity or a crime. And at the same time, just evil and conniving enough to pull off you know, these really terrible acts or maybe have the ability to pull off terrible attacks here and pose a great danger to United States citizens. Well, and the other thing too, um, and I don't remember who introduced this idea to me. I think it was probably something I'd heard in a podcast or something, but it's very interesting when it comes to sort of tearing down our uh, maybe critical thinking skills when it comes to buying into what we're being told uh, our society seems to have the, you know, whether it be, uh, the religion or the government. So you brought up Afghanistan. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, this is one that parallels both because it's something you would hear from the religious and from the political is we always say, look at how they treat their women, mm-hmm. because that's a key that will automatically turn on in us and say like, you know, to treat women like that, you, you must be a monster. So we talk about how they, it, it, all the enemies we have, we talk about how they treat their women. Even in the Civil War, the North and the South believed that, and it probably did happen, you know, but I mean, it was probably before it happened, they were already being worked up about it, was, you know, if they win, they're just going to come in here and rape everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's this thing that sort of taps into this animal side of us, where, okay, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to destroy them. And that's very interesting because if, if you look through our history, we always, we always talk about how our enemy treats their women, and that mm-hmm. always gets us ready to go kill them. Well, that's, a, I would say, probably a base part of our psychology and our evolution. Women are most valuable resource they're the only way for a male that your genetic material Mm -hmm. is going to go forward and and when it comes to biology females are just worth more than males Mm they're just more important than males males it biologically are more expendable the choke point of our reproduction 
is not <laughs> is not uh, males. You know, I mean, males can can uh, make gametes several times a day. Women can only make a gamete once a month, and then once they're pregnant, it's you know nine more months to just gestation, mm-hmm. and then there's breastfeeding where they're not going to ovulate. Women are more valuable uh, biologically than men are in in mammals, you know, and that's just the way it is. And on some level, we must know that, you know. Yeah, I, I would think whether you make the argument that we either a know it or b it's an emergent property of evolution that yeah. you know the groups and that's more what I mean. Yeah, you know that a a a group of humans who didn't mind the females getting killed aren't here to discuss what their ancestors did right. because they they never existed. You know those people don't exist now because those ancestors failed. Right, where the living. I guess the the end of the uh, the equation, so to speak, mm-hmm. when you with the right number of variables, that this is how you have a thriving society. Now, yeah, what's funny? Uh, we talked about Afghanistan. We were talking about um, Japan as well with these caricatures of. Oh, and I meant to say, um, I'm sorry. Um, it would be very easy for you know the majority Christian population here in this country to say, oh well, those are Muslims or those are Buddhists or Shinto. Or, oh, the, you yeah. know what I'm saying? They make them wear their stupid shoes or they make them wear burqas. Right. It's part of this. It's this. It's this terrible religion. Um, you know these aren't these aren't Christians. Yeah, and they um, they mutilate the genitals of their um, females. Right. Exactly. Yes. Right after they get through right circumcising. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's a completely different deal, but. I wanted to do a parallel to religion, or at least Christianity, because, again, that's what you and I both know. But look at Satan. Satan in the Bible and in Christianity is portrayed as this huge, overwhelming, evil mm-hmm. creature that has all this power. Mm-hmm. Yet, in the Bible, the only people he he was able to kill, he had to get permission for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lip- like Job's family. Mm-hmm. Exactly, like Job's family. So... This is supposedly this enormous thing that we're going to be battling our entire life. When the reality is, if you actually take the scripture word for word, no more than an annoying insect. Right. That needs permission from its master to actually do the things that it needs to do. But yet it's made to be out as this foe that is trying to overtake heaven this foe that is warring for your very soul and if you're not constantly vigilant if you're not if you're touching yourself or if you're having impure thoughts that he's going to I, i say he but that this creature is going to torment you for infinite time it's just interesting that there's this parallel within religion yeah, the 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 boogeyman to scare you. Mm-hmm. I'll protect you. Mm-hmm. Let, you know, that is the worst thing you can imagine. You don't want that. Come over to our side. We'll protect you. Just as long as you just do everything we say. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is, um, you know, give up your ability to think, and give up your ability to act freely, and you'll be protected. Yeah. 
It's a small price to pay. It's it's not. Yeah, it's when you think of less than a cup of coffee per day. <laughs> yeah, no shit. That sounds just like a damn commercial. Yep. And in politics is the same way. It's exactly the same, and that's what's so funny. You know, I I just the more. The older I get and the more I think about these things and the more that sort of I start seeing everything through this lens. Um, and I kind of want to come back to that, seeing everything through this lens. But the more I just see uh, politics as another religion. It's just, an, it, I, I just can't find a substantive difference between them. And you know what's really fucking odd about this? And I want you to, I want you to come back to what you want to. But if I was, and I, you're going to have to take yourself outside of yourself just for a moment mm-hmm. here. And the okay. listener will be able to do this as well. If I asked you, okay, if I told you I was an atheist and you knew nothing about me. Right. What do you think my political affiliation would be? I would, I would probably think that you are a liberal or a leftist. Yeah. And, so, and, and I've I I have been an atheist for quite a while and especially now that would be my safe bet. And I it, it still proves out. Yes. Um, absolutely. W- within yeah. some of the groups that I'm in on Facebook, mm-hmm. one of the ones I just joined uh Atheist Experience, they have a, a Facebook group and the vast majority of them are of course pounding on any religion. Right except for state religion. Exactly. Right. And they do not see the parallels. And there are, I would say maybe 10% ish that actually see actively in there that are combating both sides of saying, no, guys, there's no reason for this. There, there's no social contract. There is every, everything about government and political ideology is religion. You believe this person has authority over you just like these people believe that God has authority of you, but you can't prove other than the fact that they have the guns that any of this exists. And it's so hard to break people out of this. It's like, there is this need, this absolute need to have someone controlling your life. And to me, you know, you, you've got atheists, which if if I were to say, if I was looking for a group of people that were highly logical, I'd say skeptics, skeptics and mm-hmm. atheists, mm-hmm. and they're not mutually exclusive, of course, would probably be the most logical. But when you present them the evidence that, hey, the state is um, the state is another religion. It's got its figurehead. It's got its hymns. It's got um, its worship. It's got all mm-hmm. this other stuff. Ceremonies. It's got its ceremonies. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, it's almost like a mass in a Catholic church and they completely reject it out of hand. No, you have to, you have to listen. It's for the good of us all. Mm-hmm. Okay. You, you sound like the guy that's up front. So, you know, as you're saying this, yes, absolutely rings true. And uh, while you're saying it, I'm trying to think of the, uh, maybe if there was a little different of a parallel. So in this country, I mean the, the, um, you know, the deities are, the founding fathers mm-hmm. and the the priests are our politicians, um, but what what somebody could probably technically argue, and I wouldn't disagree with them on this technicality, but I I'd say in all practicality that it, that statism is a religion, but on this on the the technical point they could say is okay, well, you know, and an atheist would be the first to point this out. I know this because I was a left leftist atheist for a long time and i would have said well 
the state doesn't make supernatural claims. They're not claiming magic or any any of that. And I mean that's that is true. Mm-hmm. However, I wonder if, you know, whatever spirit of rebellion in the enlightenment movement that and you and I both know there's a lot of kind of myths surrounding surrounding that, but if this were a Buddhist country where the figurehead was an actual guy who had a message, just like the founding fathers were actual guys with a message, if we would be, if it would help us maybe recognize that it is more like a religion than we're comfortable with admitting. Because in Buddhism, you had this prince who later becomes the Buddha, and he was definitely a real guy. And he definitely really preached this thing that didn't have much to do with or nothing to do with the commands of a supernatural being. It was more of this, this is how we should live. If we were like that here in, you know, the 1700s, I wonder if it would be easier for us to kind of, as a culture, see that there's no real difference between statism and religion. I don't know. I, I'm. That's definitely a good thought experiment to kind of go down because... One, I mean, looking at it from the outside, there, there's no difference. Absolutely. Um, I have to wonder if maybe, just maybe, one of the reasons that we have s- such high esteem for these people is the same reason that those of us that grew up in the church have such a high esteem for Jesus mm-hmm. and God in that when we're young, we are taught these things. We are, I'm going to use the word, indoctrinated. Mm-hmm. To believe these things. Now, the difference with the supernatural is for a logical mind, or at least a skeptical mind, there's no evidence that the supernatural actually exists. So it's a lot easier to kind of ball that up and throw it away. Right. But you can go and see the statues, and you can go and see the houses where they lived. Mm -hmm. And it very much becomes a reality. It's it's a religion that doesn't violate your skepticism. Right. You're, and by skepticism, um, you know, may, maybe to some of our listeners, a lot, some of our listeners probably know what we're saying, but skeptics are your people who base their beliefs on, you know, on what does the evidence find and what does the science find. You know, it's, it tends to be evidence-based belief and not like anecdotal or, you know, I kind of feel this way or that way, but it's... It's evidence-based belief, so, you know, they tend to kind of know what's going on with the science of one thing or another. The best evidence at the time is kind of what determines their belief. So, to a skeptic, religion's going to be very difficult to accept. But statism, we know these people existed. We know that there really is still a White House, and, you know, uh, like, like Sean said, the statues and the monuments of actual real people who, for the most part, really were who we think they were. What we don't, what we don't know as as a public, or in general, is obviously very revealing, and mm-hmm. will undermine that. But for the most part, um, that's easy for a skeptic to accept. Yeah, um, you can go on. T- you can touch it. Yes, and uh, it was real. <laughs> it was real. Maybe, like you said, maybe some of the glorifications were a little bit heavy-handed so to speak, Mm -hmm. you know, just like when you go to Sunday school, they don't teach you about the stoning of non-virgin wives. Right. You know, that I don't remember ever going over that particular scripture. 
and they don't talk a lot about you know jesus going into the the when they had set up a market in the tabernacle or whatever and he flipped shit and started throwing tables everywhere you know i mean that's something we don't really we don't really think about a lot because it's like wow jesus lost his cool you know Mm -hmm. that's not the image which here this this kind of makes me think of another thing and this this relates to everything that we have talked about up to this point in this episode. So whether it is the artist or the religious figure or the political figure, any of those people who, you know, we tend to believe just because of who they are or reject what they say just because of who they are. You know, that's something we didn't talk about a lot, but, you know, there there's that case too. Not everything in the Bible is stupid and useless. That's very true. You know, um, but that is that is this. It's interesting. It seems to me that there's no real clear, maybe distinction between these people that we, you know, quote unquote, look up to, or or that we as a society look up to. I I, I don't like grouping people, but you know, I mean, it is something of a, of a human a human behavior. Is it so much that we talk about how good they are? Or do we let them define good? It's like a euthyphro dilemma for real people in our society. Do they, do we say they're, do we believe everything we say because, wow, we just, they're so awesome? Or do they say stuff we kind of agree with? Or we really love their art or whatever. And then what they do becomes the right thing to do. That is an interesting question because I, I keep going back and forth with that. Um, I would say, like going back to the Pope example, for instance, he's defining what is good mm-hmm. in that case. Um, same thing with like Clint Eastwood or Kanye West or some of the people mm-hmm. we are um, that we were recently talking about. But then there are those that are dead and gone, like your George Washingtons, mm-hmm. that although they're not living, they defined what is good, what is the epitome of being an American. Mm-hmm. And some those of us that want to be a good American should try to adopt those virtues. Huh. That's very interesting. It's like they get to define it, but then they also, by, by getting to define it, they become the ultimate good. Because, you know, if, if, if we define, you know, whatever Cole's behavior is, is the ultimate good. Well then whatever, however I behave is the ultimate good. And then I get to say what a hero I am for being the ultimate good. Cause I got to define it as my own behavior. Right. Not that you performed an action because it was good, but it's just that it's you just performed my action, an action. Yeah. <laughs> for in my own interest, you know. By default, that's an interesting position, and I think that is a good spot to probably go ahead and wrap up this week's episode. We went in a lot of different places, and I think we sowed some seeds in some fertile soil that could might pop up to some other discussions um, here in the very new future. So. With that, I want to thank you, the listener, for spending some time with us. I know we don't get to do these very often, but we absolutely appreciate the fact that you're still here with us, taking your time out, and we hope that maybe we can sow some seeds in your mind as well and hopefully either get you questioning some ideas that you may hold or maybe reinforcing the fact that, hey, you're not the only one out there that's questioning this stuff. So with that... I'm going to say thank you very much, and Cole? Yeah, thank you, and uh, thanks for listening, guys. All right, we'll catch you next time.